Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Thank you. Jesus was with a pretty big crowd actually on the Sermon on the Mount and he was talking to the Jewish people and he says this to them. He says that you are the salt of the earth and if salt loses its saltiness, then it's no good except to be thrown out and trampled by people. And he goes on to say, you're a city on a hill. That you're the light of the world. That no one puts a light under a bowl, but instead they put it on a stand so that it will give light to the whole house. And he says to them, In the same way, do your good deeds so that it will point people to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus was saying to you, to me, that we were intended to carry the light of the world. And that the way that you and I live, that we would let our light shine, that we wouldn't hide it, but that we would let it shine and that it would give light to the whole world. How many of you know our world starving is dying for a revelation of what Jesus is really like? And that it was always God's heart that you and I would carry that light and reveal who he is to the world around us. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you are the light that has come and that it was in your plan to put your light, your life in us. Lord, I thank you that you are removing the bowl that would hide the light that we carry, that you're removing the bowl from our lives individually and as families, but you're also removing the bowl over our church family. And Lord, that in the coming days, you are putting us on display, not for our good or glory, but for yours, that people would see how good our Father in heaven is. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, I was lying in my bed next to my wife, Lauren, and I heard this voice. Dustin reminded me of it just a few minutes ago. I heard this voice say, plant a church in San Marcos. I looked over to see who he was talking to because I was sure it wasn't me. (laughs) And in the coming years, something began to stir in my heart. I was... uh, had the privilege of being with some, some leaders really from all around the nation this last week, and one of them, a friend, Randy Hill, who's in the Dallas area, said it's not so much 
that God gives a vision to a man. It's that God puts a vision in a land and he's looking for people who will uncover it. You see, vision, as we're talking about Vision Sunday today, it's, it's not about me, and it's quite honestly not about any one of us individually. It's about what God has been dreaming from the foundation of the earth. And so I remember as I was stepping out of my role doing college ministry, the guy that would take my place, Adam, a good friend of mine, said to me, Joel, what are you doing? I said, I... I believe that there is a movement that is buried in this ground. It's like hidden treasure in this land. And there is an invitation to dig it up. And it's worth giving up everything that I know to go all in for what God's going to do. And I believe that God is beginning to stir that thing in us, in his people, that he is beginning to cause us to come alive. I believe the invitation from heaven for you and I is that we would join him in building his kingdom. That it's not about building a church, it's not about building a ministry, and it's not about building any other name but his name. But he is inviting us to be a part of what he's doing here and to the very ends of the earth. In the past few years, we've had the privilege to be a part of planting churches in Burundi, Africa, and in Nagano, Japan, and walking with some guys in Omaha, Nebraska, and other places in the world. And here's what I've found. Here's what I've discovered. They don't come to me and say, Joel, you have something that I want. They say, God is doing something in your midst, and we want that. See, I feel like God has been doing something over these past eight years and four months and 13 days. And he has been working something in us that's been in his heart from the very beginning. And I feel like we're moving into a season, it's been, been in so many prayer gatherings where people have prayed over me in the last three months, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. We're the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a city on a hill. And I think God is inviting us into something in this season that he's been preparing us for it for the last eight years, four months, and 13 days. That he's been preparing us for for a lifetime. And he's inviting us to be a part of building his kingdom. How many of you know this, that Jesus never told us to build the church. He said, in fact, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. But he also said to us, he said, I confer upon you a kingdom. You see, he's given to us his kingdom. And as a kingdom people, we become the church that he's building. We make disciples And we advance the kingdom and we watch him build his glorious bride in our midst. So this morning I want to share some vision for where we're going. But first I want to set the stage by beginning uh, the Salt and Light series on the story of Nehemiah. So in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says that you're salt, that you're light, and that you're a city on a hill. 
Jerusalem happens to be a city on a hill. In fact, I think it's what Jesus was talking about. And he wasn't necessarily talking about a physical city, but a, but a people who were always meant to represent him from the very beginning. And in the story of Nehemiah, what we find is several things have happened. We've, we've got, this is after like David and Solomon have been king and the, the kingdom has been destroyed and plundered. And the city of Jerusalem, that city on a hill, lies in ruins, a picture of the kingdom of God in its present state. And so they begin to rebuild the temple before they begin to build the walls of the city. And in the rebuilding of the temple, you can read about it in the book of Ezra. They're making a place where the presence of God dwells. Now, God has always been present, right? But when we as a people say, hey, we're, we're creating space for your presence, there's something that happens as his presence begins to manifest. It's not that he isn't there, but it's that he shows himself as he really is. I think over the past eight years, four months, and 13 days, what we've seen is God building a place, a resting place for his presence in our very midst. Did you experience that this morning? Like it's like, whoa, we're not just playing church and singing kumbaya, right? Like it's like, whoa, God is, is very much in our midst. But he's in our midst for a purpose. You see, one of the problems that Jerusalem had, that Israel had, is they believed the lie that it was really all about them. And what Jesus was setting straight in Matthew 5 was, hey, it was never supposed to just be about you. You were supposed to be a place that my glory dwells and rests so that it would light up the whole world. See, when Jesus turns over the tables in the temple, one of the things that's going on there is that they have set up money-changing tables that block the entrance for the Gentiles to get into the temple. They were supposed to be a city on a hill and a light to the world and salt to the earth, and yet they're keeping the rest of the world out. I believe that God is calling his church to the original mandate. We actually see it in Genesis 1, that we would be fruitful and multiply, that we would fill the earth with the very image of God, and that we would subdue it, that we would lead it into, that we would steward it into God's created design for it all along. Go with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to fly through Nehemiah, and then I'm going to share with you what I think this means for us in particular. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Hakaliah. Hakaliah? That's a great name. That'll be a good one for your next kid. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, so not in Jerusalem, Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came to me from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant who had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said, 
to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province. Those who survived the exile are back in the province and in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates burned with fire. Let me give you a little bit about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is actually an example of what it looks like to be an apostolic leader. What it looks like to be somebody who has been captivated with the purpose, the mission of God. What it looks like to be a kingdom influencer. A kingdom builder. Let me say this to you. In the new covenant, in the day that we live, this is a call for all of us. That God has strategically placed us in the places that he's put us so that we would see his kingdom advance. And so we can gain from Nehemiah not what somebody else should do, but actually instruction for how we should live our lives. What we see here is Nehemiah is interested, and as we read on, what we find is the example of a kingdom leader, a kingdom builder, that they take ownership. So Nehemiah asks, what's going on, and say, hey, it's a mess. How many of you would say, hey, our world is a mess? There's some serious problems. And I can stand in one of two places. I can be one who criticizes and judges and throws stones, or I can be part of the solution. You see, it doesn't take a prophet to realize our world is in need of Jesus. So, but what I found is that many times the things that captivate our attention actually reveal our call. The things that we're quick to criticize, it may be that we're misinterpreting what God's saying to us. Instead of that's a problem, maybe he's saying you're the solution to that issue. If you go on and read the next seven chapters, what we see is that Nehemiah takes radical ownership and he begins to recognize that the problem that he sees is not simply a natural problem. You see, the walls are in ruins. The things that are meant to protect the city, to give it its dignity, to, to present it to the world, to give it purpose and structure. That those things are in ruins, but the solution to that problem is not simply or not primarily a physical problem. See, kingdom builders realize that physical problems have sp reveal spiritual realities. And so what Nehemiah does is he takes radical ownership and he begins to confess the sin of his people. See, what he recognizes is that the situation that they've got into is that God said, hey, if you live faithful to the covenant that I've put you in, then I will protect you and I will make you a great nation. But if you walk away from that, there will be consequences. Thank God that the new covenant 
isn't the same as the old covenant. At the same time, it's crucial that we recognize that the problems that we're seeing and the problems that we're facing aren't simply physical problems. They're not simply social problems. They're primarily or in the first order spiritual problems. And when we try to tackle spiritual problems with natural remedies, we'll find that our solution is always insufficient. You've got a problem in your neighborhood, a problem in your workplace. And it's like, man, we can't get a handle on this. Like it just doesn't, I, I, see, I do what seems to be fitting and nothing seems to happen. Nothing, it's like just continues to spin out of control. I'd like to suggest to you that there's probably something spiritual going on that you need to pray into and take ownership of if you're ever going to see things move forward. And God will reveal that to you if you just ask him. And so Nehemiah takes radical ownership. What does God say about the problems that you see? I love this next line. It's the very last line in chapter 1. It says, I was a cupbearer to the king. Think, well, what's the significance of that? It's that... God had perfectly positioned Nehemiah to the solution for the problem that he was seeing. You see, the cupbearer to the king was not simply the guy that carried the fancy cup to the king. He was the guy that drank the king's glass before the king did. That way, if there was poison in the glass... Nehemiah would die and not the king. So Nehemiah was positioned with incredible influence. I don't know about you, I've never had bodyguards, but if I did have a bodyguard, I would have high trust in the person that was willing to take a bullet for me. So Nehemiah, God had actually set Nehemiah up in the position that he was in so that he could be a solution to the problems that he was facing. Let me just say this to you. Some of you are frustrated in the places that God has placed you. You're like, this is hopeless, this is corrupt, these people don't want Jesus, this is not going anywhere. God didn't make a mistake. He sovereignly placed you right where you're supposed to be. And let me just give you a simple divine strategy. If you're frustrated, begin to pray and say, okay, God, one, why am I here? Two, what's going on in the spiritual realm that I can address so that my light can shine in the natural realm and people can begin to see you? Christians these days, we are too quick to just judge everything, begin to boycott it, walk away and do our own thing and create our own world instead of be salt and light in a city on a hill. We're not supposed to run from it. Quite honestly, this light is doing no good. Why? Because it's in the middle of a lit room. Right? It's like this isn't illuminating much of anything. God has put many of us in dark places because we're the only light that can be there. Which means that we can't just live like this. 
and just cover up our light and smother it. But instead, we let it shine so that it gives light to the places that God has placed us. You ever been in a really dark room, your power has gone out maybe, and you light a candle and you're like, whoa, I didn't know a candle could do that. That's a lot of light. It's what God is doing with your life. And there have been things that have been set against you that the enemy has been trying to snuff out your life. But the very things that the enemy has tried to use to snuff out your light becomes fuel for the flame that God is producing. Faith. God, I just sensed it. You walked by me in, in worship. And God has just put something, favor on your life for young women and young moms. And I just feel like God is going to use you to pastor them and create space for them. And, and you have been through, whew. Lauren and I have sat with you and Matt and we've cried. Because what you've been through has been horrible. And God is redeeming that in this season. And he's putting you on a stand. And you may think, oh, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. No, you're not just a stay-at-home mom. You're a stay-at-home mom who's a bright light. And God is going to use you to bring healing and life. And it's going to set some things ablaze. Now I can't read my notes. <laughs> Recognize the sovereign positioning that God has for you. See, in the coming days, I think things are supposed to get out of control. Most churches that I know, sadly, are more interested, I think, in control than a move of God. More interested in figuring out what they can own than what they can fuel. And I feel like God wants this thing to get out of control. And I feel like he wants to, he's positioning you to be a bright light in our, our heart. Like what I see coming is, is like these groups that just begin to spring up everywhere because you're being a light and you're praying and you're asking God, why am I here? And you begin to live it out. It's like, well, I need to make disciples. I need to pray with these people. I need to read my Bible with these people. And our heart is never to say, okay, do you belong to Sozo? I've heard that too many times. Our heart is to say, hey, how can we serve you, support you, resource you. You see, the role of kingdom leaders is always to go low. It's to take off your outer garments and wrap the towel around your waist and begin to wash feet. That's what leadership looks like. It's not, hey, do you belong to us? Or we, uh, can we count you on our scorecard? No, that's not the point. We'd love to know who you are so that we can support you and launch you into the places that God's placed you. And I'd love for you to have some folks that you're running with so that as you begin to run into the dark places and turn the light on, that you could have some support, some care, some equipping, some nourishing, some comrades. But I feel like God wants this thing to get out of control, and he's strategically positioned you in the places that you're in to have kingdom influence. Lord, give us eyes to see. 
we go on, we realize God's sovereign positioning. We then realize if we read on, Nehemiah goes and he inspects the walls of Jerusalem and he's got some people that he's talking to and he's got some folks that don't like what he's doing. They're trying to control it and discourage him. You'll always find that. And sadly, the voice of discouragement often masquerades as the voice of wisdom. And you need to be wise about the voices that you surround yourself with. The people that you allow to shape where you're headed. And look for people who believe more in you than you believe in yourself. Look for people who are for you that want to put your light on a stand, not that want to smother you. So what we then begin to see is they begin building the wall. Now the wall is a representation of the kingdom. And as they begin building the wall, what we find is that it says this person built next to this family, built next to these priests, built next to these people. And what I see God doing is that he's strategically positioning us so that we're not trying to build alone. You see, kingdom builders don't build alone. They build in family and they build next to each other. And what I see God doing is he's like strategically positioning you with some people so that you can have what you need, the support that you need, the camaraderie that you need in order to do what God has called you to do. You're not supposed to do it alone. Be strategic even about who you build with. Next week as we go into Connect Sunday, My prayer is that our, and I'll share more vision for this next week. My prayer is this, that our community groups aren't Bible studies, though we should study the Bible, it's important. But they're places where life happens, that we come to and we get sent from, and it causes us to be a bright light in the places that God has placed us. The truth is, if I don't have the mission of God in my life, if I'm not about kingdom things, then I I don't really need anybody to live that Christian life. Right? Like if, if the goal in my life is to do my best to not sin, to read my Bible most days, to pray a bit, and to make it into heaven, I don't need you for that. I can be self-sufficient. I can pretty much do that on my own. But if I'm going to live out the mission of God, the purposes of God in my life, if I'm going to be a bright light in dark places, I need people. I need some people that I'm linked arms with, that they know my stuff, they know my shortcomings and my tendencies, and that their accountability in my life is not just asking me a bunch of sin-centered questions, but they, give, they call me to give an account for the ability that God's given me. Why are you hiding your light, Joel? Why are you shrinking back? One of the guys in my life that has continually done that called me up years ago. He said, Joel, you can't afford to be insecure. And I said, how in the world do I do that? You see, he, he realized the ability that God had put in me. And he was asking me to give an account for the ability that God has put in me, for the call on my life. And there's no way to step into the call on my life if I'm insecure. Mr. Clare, over you, you can't afford to be insecure and you can't afford to shrink back. You've got to let your light shine. That people would see 
all that you are, your good deeds, your life, and that they would come into an encounter with your Father who is in heaven. Do you need people to run with? And here's the reality. And one of the reasons why we need people to run with is that in, if you were to keep reading in chapters 4 and 5, they've got a mess going on. They've got people that don't want them to build. And so they end up having to build with a brick or a stone in one hand and a sword in the other. And the reality is in the days to come, there will be spiritual warfare. And you're going to have to fight while you build. You're going to have to build while you fight. Now, Jesus is the victorious one. So we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Amen? Some of you, if I could just be really honest, you're living life with two swords. And everything is a spiritual battle, and you can't build anything because you're just doing spiritual warfare about everything. Lay one of those swords down and say, God, where are you calling me to build also? Amen, Dana? I know that's your heart. Dana's our prayer pastor, and she's like, I'll fight, and she'll fight, but she's going to build also. And that's the way we want to be as kingdom people. Some of you probably want to build with two two stones, right? And you're like, hey, I'm just going to just keep building. I'm going to pretend like the devil's not there, like the enemy doesn't want me to move forward. And you'll pay a dear cost. Recognize there's, there's real spiritual stuff going on. Don't live your life centered on it, though. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, I pay attention to the enemy only long enough to get my crosshairs on it. So often, we could start to live as if the enemy were bigger than God. I'm going to live a Christ-centered life, a spirit-led life that enjoys the pleasure of my Father in heaven. And the enemy cuts in on that, boom, we'll pick him off and we'll just move right back to it. But as we're building, we can't ignore injustice, opposition, and struggle. Because of that, we need each other, and we have to pay attention to it. So they've got all sorts of things going on. They've got the guys that are trying to tear down the wall that they're building so they get swords. And they've got these really wealthy people who are doing great. Meanwhile, other people don't even have any food. And if we're going to build together, then we have to pay attention to each other's needs. We have to serve each other. We have to give to each other. Does it mean that we avoid personal responsibility in what we're doing, but we don't just look at somebody and say, hey, you shouldn't have quit your job, now you're starving, it's your fault. Instead, we get into their world and we help them as they move forward. We see one of my favorite passages in Nehemiah, go to chapter 6. So these guys, Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they're like set against Nehemiah rebuilding the wall. It is like their mission to keep this thing from happening. And so they say, hey, we, we, we need to talk to you about what's going on here. Would you come up to us in the plane of, oh no, that's a good name for it, oh no, don't go there. 
It says, but they were scheming to harm me. So I sent a message to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave to go down to you? What if you actually laid hold of the kingdom calling over your life? You said, this is what I'm called to, and I'm not going to go down. I'm not going to give in to distraction, but instead I'm going to live out the very purposes that God has for me. I'm not going to chase this rabbit and that rabbit, but instead I am going to be fixed on God's purpose for me. I've got a great work going on. I just declare over you, you've got a great work going on. You've got a great work going on. And the enemy is going to want to distract you. And he's going to start throwing things at you and send some discouragers to you to set you off course. You've got a great work going on. And you cannot afford to go into the plane of oh no. And be distracted by petty things. you join God in building or you chase distractions? Verse 16, chapter 6. It says, when all our enemies heard about this, that they had finished the wall, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. I believe that God wants to do something in our day and I'll lay out just some Three very uh, simple but significant things for our church family. But I believe God wants to do something in our day that we could not do by ourselves. That the world will look on and say, there's no way they could have done that without God. When we started Sozo, I had been, I think I had been in ministry stuff for about 12 years. Uh, and I heard God say this to me. It's kind of humbling, very humbling. He said, Joel, we've seen what you can do. Now watch what I can do. I feel like God is calling us to be a people of great faith who lean in to what he has for us. And then finally in verse, chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, it said, After the wall had been rebuilt, and I had set the doors in place, and the gatekeepers and the musicians and the Levites were appointed, I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hananiah, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people. What we find, if we were to keep reading, we're not going to keep going now, but so they were building a place, not simply for them, but for the next generations. And it wouldn't be that long in the scope of history until Jesus would walk those streets with those walls. That Jesus would be carried outside of those walls to be put on a hill to be crucified. See, what we're called to build, we're building with God. It's meant to last for generations and touch nations. And that's what God is inviting us into. Four years ago, we had an elders retreat, and our elders sat down, and we were looking at just where we're headed for church life, and God began to lay down some stuff that, quite honestly, I think allowed us 
to survive and even thrive in the middle of the pandemic. This was before the pandemic. This was uh, January of 2020. But one of the things that God clearly showed us was that we were to do something that would be built to last. And that we're supposed to make decisions in this season that 150 years from now, though probably none of them will know any of our names, that people who are part of Sozo Church and what God does from this place would look back and say, I am grateful for the decisions they made. We don't want to make just short-sighted, expedient decisions, but we want to make decisions that endure through generations. So let me tell you just about practically where we see God leading us. One is, I believe that God is calling all of us to be a bright light that would shine. And I, I believe in this season, we're to take ownership of what it looks like to be salt and light in the places that God has placed us. So in the coming weeks in our community groups and then available online just for your individual study, there'll be a, a guide called Salt and Light. And it really talks about what it looks like to partner with God to see transformation in the places that he's placed us. And I believe this, that God really is lifting off the, the lid, the bowl on us, that he has individually positioned us, that he has matured you. You are one stinking mature church body. Like, oh my goodness. Well, most of you at least. <laughs> Serious. Like the people in this room, like there, there are, like I was telling somebody, there's like five churches worth of leaders in our church family, probably more than that, like ready to go, not just emerging. I think there's hundreds emerging. I believe that God wants to use you in the places that he's positioned you to be a bright light. The second thing is, and this is pretty significant, I believe that God has had us physically in a place of hiddenness, in a season of preparation. But I believe the day is coming and is upon us now that he wants to lift the lid off of our light as a church family. I believe a, a, a significant piece of that is that we would have a building of our own that's not hidden away in the sticks. I'm grateful for this place, but the, that actually that people could drive up and down 35 and see us. And so starting today, we're inviting you to pray about contributing to the Salt and Light building project. And we have a, a building in mind. If you want to drive by it and take a look, it's already existing. It's at 350 Barnes. It's on the same street as Target and uh, the Stinky Tortilla Factory. You know that one? <laughs> Academy, all of that. It's right next door to the Stinky Tortilla Factory. So we're going to have to pray the stink away. Um, <laughs> But I, I believe eight, eight years, four months, and 14 days, or whatever it is, probably off by something, but in that God has matured us to the place where we could recognize that our call is not to be about a building. Like for us, Lord, help us. Lord, rebuke us if we ever make church life about a building. But I believe that we need a place to call our own, that we can worship and encounter God in. That when God's moving, if we have to last minute call the church together for prayer gatherings and all sorts of stuff, that it's just simple and easy. 
that people can connect with and be equipped from. And I just see God even growing uh, our equipping school that we call Greenhouse and, and just all of the stuff that's going to happen from that place. And we need a place to call our own. So in my inbox, my email inbox is a contract for a building that we don't yet have the funds for, but God does. And so we're asking you to prayerfully consider what you would give towards that. We won't do, as we had a, a leadership gathering yesterday, we don't do giving by compulsion. We call that witchcraft. We're not trying to twist your arm. We believe that God's so good that he has everything that we need. And so we're just gonna trust him for it and watch him provide. So here's the basics, and you'll actually, on your way out, our host team will hand you a card that looks like this. It says, my commitment to salt and light. And what we're asking God for, what we're trusting God for, is in the next two years that he would provide $2.7 million. If that number intimidates you, then I say, yes, Lord. I feel like God said that we're going to, just like when they rebuilt the walls in Nehemiah, that we're going to say, wow, only God could do that. And so by March 1, we're trusting God to provide $700,000 for the down payment of a building that's $6.1 million. And then by uh, August, um, another million dollars. That way we could finish up the renovations for it. And then there's a bit that we'll owe to the guy that's selling it to us that we want to have paid off by the beginning of 2026. So that's uh, another $700,000. And we're just going to watch God provide. So here's what I want you to do as you leave. We're going to worship. I've got one more thing to share with you. It's actually on this piece of paper, and it's incredibly significant. But what I want you to do with this as you leave is husbands and wives get together, ask God, what, sh what should I give? What would you have me give? And let me just say this. I think this probably for many of you goes without saying that that gift would be on top of your regular giving because we can't starve our church family to, to have a building. We're never gonna make that trade. So just ask God. And here's the thing. If you've got a widow's mite to throw in, throw it in. If it's $5, that's great. If it's $5 million, come on. And we're just going to trust God to provide and watch what he does. Amen? And it's going to be a lot of fun. And so you can fill that out. And then on February 19th, we're having what we're calling Commitment Sunday. And it's just where you would bring your commitment. You can also fill it out online. There's a QR code. There'll also be some info on our website. And you can, can make your commitment there and you can give weekly or monthly or whenever you can that way. But we're trusting that God would provide and that this space would be a place that would, we'd be able to worship and gather. Uh, we see like an indoor playscape for our kids to play um, that would actually be a gathering place even throughout the week, probably attached to a coffee shop so that people could come and, and like there's just not much in our city that families can gather at. And so just to have a place for families to gather, I see like moms coming and letting their kids play while they uh, pray together and dig into scripture and share life together. Just all sorts of cool stuff happening. So pray about what God would have you give. One of the numbers on there is 
$300,000 by August 1st, 2025. And that's to launch Sozo in the Kyle Buda area. And so, Chris and Natalie, would you guys stand for a second? We've been friends, I think, 15 years, at least over, over a decade. Um, but when they jumped into what God was doing in Sozo in 2020, and in a few weeks we'll share probably more about this, uh, we, we knew that we'd have them for a season and that God was going to launch them. And, and I think they're going to be locally the, the first among many. Um, and so um, what we've been praying into and, and believing God for our conversation for the last few years has been, okay, God, is this what you're calling them to do? Is it, is it right? And when's the timing? We believe that the fall of 2025 will be the right time for them to launch uh, Sozo Kyle Buta for us. Uh, we're not interested in building our own kingdom. So that's not like, hey, let's have control of them and extend our brand or any of that stuff. But we know that we're family and called to run together. And so we wanna be behind what God's called them to. And as, as they move forward, we're, we'll just continue to have a conversation of, hey, how, how connected are we supposed to be? What's God doing? All that stuff. So it's not, hey, how do we just multiply us? You won't have to see me piped in over there on uh, video because we've got way too many teachers and Chris is one of the most gifted teachers that I know. Um, and so we're just going to watch what God does there. And I think that they'll be the first among many that we're going to see this this whole region and, and, and beyond saturated with, with family on mission, with kingdom family. So Lord, we even just bless Chris and Natalie in, in, the, in their call, in their yes and amen to your call for them. And Lord, we, we thank you that you're paving a, a, a runway that we'll see them thrive and excel and step into all that you have for them. Lord, we thank you that you're, you're, we're going to get to see this over and over again as you transform a, a region and a world with your kingdom. And Lord, it's our desire as your people just to continue to say yes, that we'd continue to say yes to your call, whatever it is, that we would say yes to your call and that we would be a part of seeing your kingdom advance, that we would be salt and light to the world around us and that we would be intentional and obedient in the places that you've placed us. Lord, we trust what you're doing. We trust you to lead the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this morning, uh, as we close, we're going to worship a little bit. Our ministry team will be here, um, and they would love to pray with you. There's a, a few things that I, I'd like for you to consider responding to. One is, if you raised your hand earlier to give your life to Jesus, just slip up here with everybody else and let somebody pray with you. And then I encourage you to find some folks to run with. It's probably the person that brought you, but find some folks to run with as you're following Jesus, because this is not a solo sport. You need people with you. It's regular that God is healing in our midst. And so if you need a touch from God, I would encourage you to come forward. They would love to pray with you. Um, also, I just feel like God wants to commission some people. Like you've got like some stuff burning in your heart for where God has placed you. And our team would love to pray with you and just say, hey, go get them. And finally, 
um, I think there's some folks here that you've been hungry to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the Holy Spirit is available to everybody that trusts in Jesus and often waits for our yes to receive his power. And his power does a few things. It gives you victory over sin. If you've been just harassed by the enemy and temptation and you need victory, I believe that the Holy Spirit's presence in your life will give you what you need. He also gives us power to be a witness to the very ends of the earth. And I believe that God wants to baptize people in himself and give power for what he's called you to. So ministry team, you guys come forward and I just encourage you to respond as God leads you.